Hi, and welcome back to a podcast above a convenience store, Talking Twin Peaks. I am Joe Fremming from the Joe Down. Uh, with me, as always, is Paul Muadib from Cast That Movie. Paul, how's it going? It's going well, buddy. How's it going for you? It's going. It's uh, it's going. And uh, we have a big episode here. Uh, yes, we do. We're going... We're deep diving into the strange and wild and twisted history of Twin Peaks, uh, as in The Secret History of Twin Peaks by Mark Frost. Uh, this was our kind of uh, uh, tie-in, kind of leading us up to the return. It works as an introduction to some new characters, and it fills in the gaps of some of the things that you know just weren't answered in the return. Obviously, since that was a, a huge thing and it was more focused on other elements of the show. Yes. Uh, and, and this book was how you and I started communicating again. Yeah. Neither of us knew the other was into Twin Peaks until we uh, saw each other at a at the book signing in Minneapolis. Mark Frost was there. Uh, I'm walking with my buddy, and lo and behold, there's... There's Paul and his wife. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that's when it hit us that, whoa, we're into the same shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tw- 20 plus years, we never once talked about Twin Peaks to each other. <laughs> no. No, not until this book and The Return came out. It's been 25 years. We hadn't talked to each other about it. Yeah. We had a lot of other shared interests but yes. it was just like this was this is an odd one that just never came up <laughs> yeah absolutely um but i think we're kind of guarded as twin peaks fans because we know a lot of people don't get it <laughs> yeah we are the weird fandom uh <laughs> exactly our fandom isn't uh you know like star wars uh because this, this one has a lot more darker uh <laughs> yeah. um, you know Sex abuse shit going on. <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of kept mm-hmm. to ourselves. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, we sat in for the book signing, and I have my copy of the book in front of me here. Um, and I will never forget this, because of my copy, I got him to sign the page that he read for us. So there was a point where he read one of the pages from the books. And so when I went up in line and I got him, I convinced him to sign this particular page for me. Yeah. So, and was, yeah. And he played audio from the audio book, too. Oh, God. Yeah, he did. Which featured his father, Warren Frost, uh, mm-hmm. which is a nice tie. Uh, Mark, I, he spent part of his childhood in Minneapolis. Yes. Uh, his father, Warren, best known as Doc Hayward. He's also Susan Frost's uh uh, father on Seinfeld. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, he, he was big in the Minneapolis theater scene. Though, Absolutely. So. And we, and I, is, reading this book, I realized, oh, Calhoun Hospital is kind of a nod to the Lake Calhoun area down down in the Twin Cities. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, he, Warren Frost is reading. Uh, and in the audiobook, uh, he plays... Uh, Douglas Milford. Yep. <laughs> we'll get into him. But we'll yeah. Get a lot in the Dougie. 
So you got Mark to sign a page. I told Mr. Frost that my dad had me watch the show when it originally aired. And he saw me and he guessed my age. Looks me in the eyes like, oh, I hope you had a lot of good therapy. <laughs> That's such an awesome story. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 and uh, I realized, because the, the book had just come out, so I had never even got to read it yet. Nobody had. Uh, right. I think it was released that day. It was released that day at the book yeah. signing. Yeah. Yeah. Because I picked my copy up in Bemidji and before I drove down there, I didn't. I should have thought uh, uh, they'd be selling them there, but I wasn't sure. Uh, sure. I just didn't know what the turnout was going to be, but so yeah, it was. And then I found out what he was talking about. Like you know, he's like amateur history buff. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, he studies, and he was like talking to other people about that. And I really didn't think much about it until I started reading this book. And I think this is a good. Let's jump into it. Let's jump into the secret history of Twin Peaks. Perfect. This book operates uh, as a a dossier. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's uh, from a a crime scene. Uh, We meet uh, Tamara Preston, Tammy Preston. Yep. Whose name is blocked out through the entire book until the very end. Yes. Uh, She is a character in The Return. She aids... uh, Gordon Cole and Albert. We'll be getting into that uh, next week when we do the return. But yes, what she's assigned to do is decide, figure out what this dossier is and who put it together. Mm -hmm. Uh, The author calls himself the archivist. Uh, We find out it's major breaks. Yes. Yes. I had no idea when I started reading this. I was like in a, I had a lot of things going on in life at that time. So like, I, I wasn't one, as 100% in on the, in the book when I first read it as I should have been. But you knew right away. I knew right away. Because um, I could tell from the way it was written, like just the, the archivist points in it. I was like, that's how Garland talks. I was like, that's how, that's how Briggs talks. And it just, it, I, I, as I'm reading the whole thing, and every time it came to his point, and the way that it's verbiaged out, it's so awesome because... It fits that character so well that, yeah, right away I heard it in his voice. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I didn't. I thought I had three. Garland was one of the three people I thought it was going to be. It was either him, Wyndham Merle, or Coop, Agent Cooper himself. Uh, mm-hmm. And just because it's from an outsider's perspective for most of it, looking in, and those are the only three that kind of have that uh, presence History. in the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, right after kind of the opening statement, you know, the, the again, as it's written as a dossier, basically it starts with Gordon Cole with a note sending it to Tammy. And you, when you read this, do you hear it as David Lynch screaming? Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Dear Agent Blank, the accompanying material is confidential and approved for your eyes only. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and the, the tidbit, too, I found is this dossier allegedly was found in uh, the basement of Ruth Davenport's apartment building. Uh, that's another big thing from the return. So this is kind of taking place as the return's also happening. The final dossier kind of solidifies that. Absolutely. With uh, how that book ends. But that'll be our last podcast, will be the final dossier. Correct. We'll get into that. But so it operates... Tammy, uh, what Frost is doing is uh, he's 
taking it from multiple points of view, and he's writing for multiple voices in this, which is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, interesting is like Tammy, she writes in the margins her notes and observations. We have the archivist's notes and observations. We have letters from characters in the show, from like Audrey Horn to Hank Jennings to my favorite, which is the uh, uh, Hawks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And even like historical figures. And what better way to start off the historical figures and their point of view is how the book starts with Meriwether Lewis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I start this book and I'm like, well, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and we get our first kind of red herring, which is uh, he talks about a uh, chief, uh, Twisted Hair, who has long, like, weird-ass gray hair and has the ring. And right away, we, me and both, me and both uh, Joe thought Bob, right? Yeah, yeah. And from us, like, reviewing the first two seasons, we probably sh- should have saw that as red herrings. Like, and then, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just, you know, I was like, oh, shit, is that Bob? And then, like, you know, another character comes up called Denver Bob. Uh, Frost is doing this deliberately to fuck with us. I Absolutely. Loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely. So we find out that he gets the ring from yep. Twisted Hair, who tells him, don't wear it. And sends them to where, Joe? Sends them to what will become Twin Peaks. Uh, He sends them up by the waterfalls up to what is Glastonbury Grove. Glastonbury Grove. Uh, Meriwether Lewis is missing for how long? Uh, Several months. Several months. (laughs) Uh, So the book kind of points out that Glastonbury Grove is where people disappear and odd things happen. we know this from the show, obviously, but it we never really know if people have or if other people besides Cooper and Wyndham Earl and Leland have had that experience there. Uh, it has, and it's actually happened to characters we get to know in the show. <laughs> oh yes, but yeah, Lewis goes there and he comes back and he's he's kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's different. He is different after that experience. But this and is, he's also the North. So he's discovering the Northwest Passage and he has two objectives. One is, uh, you know, the, the, you know, figuring out, uh, you know, you know, the, the exploring the, the Western side of the States. And the other is through Thomas Jefferson, who's president, uh, looking into like other religions and, entities and gods and that sort of thing uh we find this out it's sparked by jefferson and lewis and it has ties to their uh their life within uh the freemasons as well it's all kind of linked yes it is and uh, you know when he's talking with uh when you look at the letter from uh that uh jefferson writes about his latest thing because you don't actually see the the dispatch but one of the interesting things it's like for having read his dispatch a, a half a dozen times this morning i remain firmly convinced this must have been composed while in the grip of fever <laughs> perhaps <laughs> after taking part of some herbal or vegetative compound either accidentally or given to him by some ident- unidentified native he encountered 
because he's like, this does not make sense. No. And uh, Lewis, even he he sketches out the ring that uh, Twisted Hair hands him. And lo and behold, it's the jade ring that we were introduced to in Fire Walk With Me. Yes. Uh, this is what I meant when we did. Uh, we I hinted at a uh, secret history made me like uh, not only I think it's an essential to enjoy the return, but it it gives us a, ro- a compass or a roadmap into kind of understanding the importance of what we're seeing in Firewalk with me. Absolutely, absolutely. No, this this totally like yeah, this changed Firewalk with me in so many ways. And in the in the book, uh, he describes what he saw, uh, you know, in these excerpts from Thomas Jefferson, quote, lights from the sky, the silvery spheres, music like some heavenly choir, fire that burns but does not consume, colors unseen or imagined, flowing from all things, gold, all gold, bright and shining. And we we know he put the ring on because he says, I should have heeded his warning. Yeah, uh, as we'll see, this is a also, this this book has three objectives in a or a couple objectives. I don't want to just limit. Uh, it's introducing us new characters. It's given us the history of the Jade Ring, which I think is important. Uh, mm-hmm. Fills in the gaps from the show, but it yeah, it's also given us uh, what is. Uh, what eventually brings uh, our hero, Agent Cooper, to Twin Peaks? It starts with Mary Weatherly. Yes, it starts with Mary. Yeah, it starts with them. It starts with them mapping out the United States. It goes that far back. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and we'll see many strange characters with the ring at certain points of their lives. Yes, and it also brings to the point the ring. What it does is it fulfills someone's desire. But after it does it, it destroys them. Yes. It's essentially a deal with the devil. Or yeah. a deal with the Black Lodge, as it were. Yeah, and we also find that once you've encountered the, the Black Lodge, it has a certain influence over you after you... You don't even have to... Maybe you don't even have to enter it, but it seems people who get near it or have a, an association with it... Are, they can be influenced by it, mm-hmm. so it'll draw. It'll, we'll, we'll find out later. It draws Douglas Milford. Oh. He has a childhood experience, and he's drawn back at a certain point for reasons he doesn't understand. Yes. Yeah, so after, then it goes to kind of explain how the ring basically got Meriwether Lewis uh, uh, Clark got uh, killed. Killed. He committed suicide. He shot himself in the back of the head twice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, he's he's now uh, after the expedition. It, it, it hints that the ring guided him on the for the rest of the Lewis and Clark expedition. They ran into very little trouble after he is in contact with. He has the ring. He becomes a the governor of the Louis, Northern Louisiana territories. I think. Yes. Yes. One Wilkinson. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. I, I'm Wilkinson is Wilkinson. Uh, yeah, Wilkinson is something else. But um, yes, he becomes the governor of the upper um, 
Louisiana Territory. Yeah, and Wilkinson is a saboteur of the early United States. He's up there with uh, Bet- uh, Benedict Arnold and so forth. It's heavily implied he has Lewis killed. Mm-hmm. And he, so Lewis is, uh, he's going, he's, he's going to go talk with Jefferson. He gets wildly, he becomes wildly paranoid. We'll see the ring brings this element onto the other wearers. Uh, they get, they're paranoid. They're, they're kind of going off the rails. Uh, he's found dead. Uh, yep. His Masonic apron is found later on with uh, not only his blood, but it's blood of two other individuals, which is mm-hmm. odd, but it kind of points in the direction that Wilkinson had him murdered. And then Wilkinson is now in possession of the ring. Yes. And there is a lot of masonry uh, in this book. And, you know, I'll, I'll say it, you know, it's my first time really saying it on this podcast. Um, I actually am a Freemason, so I found this really, really interesting. Yeah, and I knew that. I just wasn't, you know, I just I know some people just aren't comfortable talking about that personal of their lives, so I just kind of left it. But is I just wanted to ask you because there is a lot of like, like the imagery and a lot of like you know the owl cave symbol. It, it looks like a lot of things like I've looked up or have seen associated with Masons. <laughs> what is your take on that? Like Mark Frost's use of some of well, I guess I, it's pretty liberal use of it, but yes, yes, there's definitely a, a liberal um, use of it. And you know, when you look at it, you could tell that he knows some about the Freemasonry. Either he was in it, or a family member was in it, or he researched like real things about it, not the conspiracy theory shit. Because let me tell you guys something. Um, if I add the kind of power that people think with the Freemasons, um, our show would be blowing up way more than what it is. <laughs> Paul, are you saying the Illuminatus trilogy is lies? I am saying that the Illuminatus trilogy is all lies. But what I will say is, is he uses some imagery and, but kind of distorts it. You know what I'm saying? So there's like, there's things in it where I could go, okay, I now that I've read this book. I see where he got some of like the, the owl cave ring symbol and some of the other symbols of like the owl cave that they used. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we see he, he uses that not only with that, the masonry, but he plays that in the sandbox of history where he'll take very real incidences, uh, especially when it comes to the, the government's in, investigations into UFOs and, uh, uh, and uh, later on with Jack Parsons and mm-hmm. L. Ron Hubbard, and that he's playing in a sandbox with real events, but infusing some Twin Peaks into it. Yeah, it's really well done, too, because you can tell when you read these things that Mark Frost does really love history. And it's really interesting seeing him. And he's not even sh- like this is it's not shoehorning. It's actually like thought and methodical. And it written in a way that would be believable. Like I could see someone reading this who's not familiar with what Twin Peaks is and going, really, this is what happened. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, yeah, a part of this happened. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think uh, now uh, I think, so this kind of sets the tone for the ring. And then it go the book goes in kind of like the formation of the town of Twin Peaks. 
the, the houses, the, the people who show up and who kind of are run the town. We meet the Packards, the Martells, the Horns. And this kind of gives us a little more uh, reading this book and kind of getting like this, you know, this history for these characters that I've, you know, watched for for 30 years now. It made me enjoy the show when we were rewatching it a lot more. Yes. But you jumped ahead head a little bit there because we got to talk about Chief Joseph. Oh, Chief Joseph. Yeah, he ends up with the ring at one. Yes. Uh, there's Absolutely. a big... Yeah, so Chief Joseph of the Nez Pierce. Uh, he's... Uh, this is in the final days of the... Basically, the Native American War. The United States pretty much declared a war on the Native Americans and to grab their land. Yep, uh, yep. And after, Chief, like... Because Mary, Mary uh, uh, Lewis and Clark, Lewis and Clark had these Indians sign these treaties, or the Native Americans, I shouldn't say Indians. That's highly offensive. I apologize. Yeah, he had, he they signed treaties, but as uh, if you've read "Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee," these treaties are just oh, they're that's... just shit on by the United States government. Uh, they they took advantage of these people in a horrific way. You know, uh, just tricking them, not sh even speaking the same language. It's just awful. And Chief Joseph is one of the last holdouts. He wants his land. They had that. They had this agreement with Lewis and Clark. Uh, and the government finds a way to be like, well, they violated that treaty. Uh, yep. You guys violated that treaty by blah blah blah, and they're going to take the land. So Chief Joseph starts hightailing it out to Canada. Very real thing, you know, in history where Sitting Bull made his big uh, escape to Canada and yep. welcomed them until they decided they're not welcomed anymore. Right, right. <clears throat> yeah, and it t basically talks about that he, you know, Chief Joseph was never a hostile tribe um, and had never before been called to service people as a mil military leader. But despite that, he returned from this mysterious pilgrimage, which led to him getting the ring, and led his people one of the greatest tactical retreats in history, in which they engaged in a series of 13 battles or skirmishes against uh, more than 2,000 soldiers, cavalry, and, and artillery under the command of one General Howard. Yes. Uh, uh, Chief Joseph makes an amazing escape at one point, which... Uh... Government, uh, soldiers can only describe as he went, he led his people right through a mountain. Uh, so we're getting hints that he's using the ring in a way to help his people. Uh, his intentions are not like the other people will come across with the ring. He's more like, you know, his objective is to help his tribe. But the ring does not care what your intentions nope. are. Nope. He makes his. He make he he's successful, but then he has his downfall in that he's surrounded right before the Canadian border, yep, and <clears throat> forced into reservations. Exactly, and then we think that uh, it kind of implies that um, <clears throat> the ring kind of disappears. Yep. Right. Yeah, the ring disappears. Uh, from what we know from twin, especially the return shows it that. This ring 
it vanishes and reappears at different times. Uh, we'll see that in the return. At certain points, people have the ring. Mm-hmm. That I... Room raises the question, is there more than one? At least I raised it. I haven't watched the return in a while, so if I'm wrong in this, listeners, let me know. But I, it feels like there's more than one of these rings. <laughs> it, 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 it's very possible, because as we talked about in Fire Walk With Me, they bring up the green Formica table. And yeah. so they may have made more than one ring. Yeah, we'll, we'll discuss it in the return, because I, I feel like there's... Mike has the ring, but then at uh, Mr. C's accomplice has the ring too. So I yeah. don't know and how some, it operates. And, and some woman that is just kind of a rando um, <laughs> that's nurse? actually a, a famous cameo um, has the ring at one point as well. Yes. <laughs> so it's, we don't know how the ring operates, but uh, again, uh, one of our re- listeners wrote an incredible uh, column about the jade ring and i, I i'd suggest uh, it's at 25 years later the website i believe yes uh, yeah so if yeah he did a deep dive on this deeper than me and paul yes yeah <laughs> thank god mm-hmm. there's people out there who are more invested in this than i uh, and we're pretty invested <laughs> yeah Absolutely. Oh, yeah, very so, invested. So after Chief Joseph, the, the ring takes a backseat for a while. And yep. then we get to the formation of the town of Twin Peaks. Like I said, we get the history of the Martells and the Packards. Packards mm-hmm. put the Martell sawmill out of commission. Yep. Uh, ben Horn's great-great-grandfather, you know, builds a department store, blah, blah. So we're getting like kind of like this random history but it's not as random as we're led to believe. This is kind of, uh, it leads us into, uh, to, uh, of all people, Andrew Packard. Yes. Well, <laughs> little be- Andy Packard. Before we get to little Andy Packard, because it becomes a big deal, um, we, let's talk a little bit, because you mentioned him in the beginning, Denver Bob. Denver um, Bob, yes. Yeah, because they find Owl Cave. And you are not supposed to be fucking with Owl Cave. Yeah. At least at this time, we kind of learn in the show that it becomes like a local area where the kids smoke pot and drink and shit. Uh, Yep. But at this time, it's very new, uh, not as populated. (laughs) It's very protective of itself. (laughs) And what's really cool in the book is you get the map that you saw at the season finale of, of two. Or towards the end of the season in, in, in two, um, which is, has the Grove. You know, you actually has like the two Twin Peaks. So because uh, they had written this out. But Denver Bob's gone. His buddy's like, huh, all yeah. the shit's here. All the gear here, including his rifle. He never went nowhere without that Spencer. Figure I'll hold it for him. Fuck this shit. I still got my compass. I know the trail. Heading back to Spokane. Pronto. Yeah, and when they, when they describe hearing like a low hum, uh, we we hear this in the return. Uh, it's in we hear it in Ben Horn's office. He's is driving him and his assistant nuts. Yep. <laughs> uh, so and this kind of like it shows me that, uh, and I just want to kind of talk about this now that I is you know Lynch is claim you know he said he's never read the book. 
and people kind of became into camps of like Team Lynch, Team Frost. I think that's stupid. I yeah. honestly don't think there's anything in this book that Lynch doesn't have an idea about. <laughs> exactly. I think because he, he said, I don't have to read it. I know it. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, um, this is very much both Fris, uh, uh, Frost and Lynch. This is just that narrative that Frost was really good at in working with Lynch. Um, because Lynch, as you know, we've talked about it. We love Lynch, but he has some issues with with writing. He's not the best writer. No. He's a great visual storyteller. Just writing is not his strong suit. Uh, yeah, I, whatever. It, it, I, I think a lot of this was probably stuff they had to take out of the return. Just because, I mean, that thing was already sprawling enough. But I, they took four years to write that, people. So, obviously, I, some of this was probably <laughs> discussed at some point. Over uh, the four years of writing that, <laughs> that season. Yes. So, now, now we are introduced to a very young Andrew Packard. Yeah. Uh, I love... I love how people who don't work in newspapers don't understand how newspapers work. Uh, you're not getting a front page uh, story by a boy from a scout. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is the Twin Peaks Gazette in 1927. But yeah, you're right. But so, Andrew, uh, yeah, young Andrew's a scout. This is before he's corrupted later in life. Uh Mm-hmm. He goes on a camping expedition with his scoutmaster, Dwayne Milford. Yep. <laughs> Good old Dwayne. Good old Dwayne. Long time mayor. mayor of Twin Peaks. Long time. Long time mayor of Twin Peaks. Uh, they go on a camping expedition where things become quite go strange on them in that uh, they find, they go across Glastonbury Grove. They see the, the sycamore trees and the, the oil in the in the pit. Yes, it gets everybody lightheaded. They they start their memories are kind of fading in and out. They can't really recall what's going on. Uh, we see this. Uh, we see this in the show, and we yes, we do. So it's uh, the, uh, and I believe uh, we briefly kind of between just you and I we talked about it at one point, but not recorded, but. The, this is where we think the fireman intervenes. Right. This is where he, we Because they seem to be activating the Black Lodge. And yep. so a storm comes out of nowhere to get these people away from Glastonbury Grove. Yep. Storm out of nowhere, too. And, you know, what's really interesting is, is that you don't see, like, when you're reading the book, you don't really know about the fireman, so you think it's the giant. But really what this book is introducing you to is the fireman. Yeah. <laughs> we get introduced to a couple new characters. The fireman, uh, we've known him as the giant. Uh, he is uh, he's part of the White Lodge. And mm-hmm. uh, he intervenes when things are going awry. Yes. <laughs> when the Black Lodge is overstepping their bounds, the fireman steps in too. Yep. Yep, he's kind of the he's kind of the the sheriff or the mediator. 
Yeah. He's like, all right, shit's getting out of control. I'm going to have to come out here. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a long discussion on the firemen when it comes to part eight of the return. <laughs> Fuck, yeah, we will. But yeah, Raynaud, we just know him as a, from what we know, he's an entity, so he's kind of protecting these these, these children from the Black Lodge. Mm-hmm. He's storm. He even has a lightning bolt strike down a tree to scare Andy and everybody to get into their tents. Uh, yes. <laughs> but and, yeah, Andy sees them, though. Yep. And, and well, I was going to say, what we learn is that it wasn't just Dwayne Milford that was there. They He reads a part here. I'm going to do it now. Um, this is from a private... Diary entry from Andrew Packard. There, This is the section of my story that they left out of the printed edition in the Gazette. They told me at the time they ran out of space, but I think it's because they had a whole lot more to do with the fact that Douglas Milford was, at the time, living in sin with Pauline Kuya, the estranged daughter of the owner of the Gazette. Such an old-timey thing saying that, too. Such living an old-timey sin. thing. So we find out that both the Milfords were there and were scoutmasters. Yeah. Dwayne, uh, Dwayne had seen something like this before on his own. Dwayne is not here with uh, Andy and... Uh, no, Doug is not here with Dwayne and uh, Andy. Doug had an experience a few months before. Yes, I'm sorry, yes. Uh, and uh, it caused... Him uh, to get kind of paranoid and excited, and uh, he ends up at a, a scout uh, meeting, like a semi-national meeting or something like that, where he he's bringing up this thing he saw in the woods, and he's getting quite uh, angry about it and worked up to the point where him he ends up punching out his brother, <laughs> who's trying to calm him down, and then he's forever banned from the scouts. <laughs> Right, yeah, so I'll read into this. So, um, <clears throat> so next month, Douglas brought this incident up at the Regional Scoutmaster Council in Spokane, interrupting the proceedings and demanding that unless the scouts launched an all-out investigation, he would bring it before the National Scoutmaster Council. Dwayne tried to calm him down, tried to calm down his agitated brother, but sadly the evening ended with Douglas decking Wayne with a right cross at which point he was removed, kicking and shouting from the scout hall. This was this was followed by the council passing a unanimous motion to strip Douglas of his scoutmaster rank and expel him from the organization. And this is we've seen something like this before in the series. Uh, just being obsessed with whatever's in the woods and what's ever uh, at Glastonbury Grove. We see almost the identical thing happen to Wyndham Earl. We have the video of him talking about the, the Black Lodge and the entities in the woods. He's, they, everybody's thinking he's losing his mind. Uh, and he's obsessed with it. Uh, I think the same. This is kind of uh, showing that this happened to Doug uh, how many, 60 years before. So, yeah. Yep. yeah. And, and then Dwayne at one point kind of like maybe maybe Doug... Maybe he did this. Maybe he was like pretending to be a giant and Andy. Right. Yes. Unless Doug figured a way to stride over seven feet. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He tries to pin it on. He tries to pin it on Doug. But um, 
yeah, this sends this him getting kicked out of the Scoutmasters sends Douglas on a wild journey. And who was a throwaway character in the second season, we find out was a major character. Yeah, this is the brilliant uh what I was not expecting, and this is probably gonna be the the main thing we're gonna be discussing through this book. We're just kind of giving you guys like a sense. But Douglas Milford's story is leads us right to not only the, the original run of the show, but what he sets forth brings us to, even to the return. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In season two, he's just this schmuck who marries who marries the femme fatale. Yeah, yeah. And dies having sex. And dies having sex. And and he gets in a fight at the funeral at the at at, at the at Leland's wake. <laughs> that's where he proposed to her too. Yeah, that's where he proposed to her at a funeral. At Leland's funeral. <laughs> oh my god. So all right, let's talk Douglas Milford. So Fuck yeah. Because he's, he's the meat and potatoes of this book. Uh, yeah, which was, oh, yes. was the left turn I was not expecting. Uh, so Douglas, uh, he's kicked out of the scouts. He's kind of, uh, he's now got this rivalry with his brother. Uh, he becomes the town drunk for a while. Yes. Uh, he's uh, he's just not dealing with things. A lot of this, uh, you can contribute to what happened to him when he encountered Glastonbury Grove. Right. He saw a large walking owl, and he saw the giant. Uh, I, his experience was a little probably more nefarious than what happened to Andy and Dwayne. Uh, he's just kind of fucked up, and he ends up leaving uh, to just ride the rails. The depression hits. It's what a lot of people are doing. There's no work. They they're trying to find a purpose in life. He yep. finds himself in San Francisco. Riding whales around, doing odd yeah. shit, and then Pearl, up Yeah, Pearl Harbor happens. Uh, he enlists in the military right away, uh, and then with his mili- early military life, he's a fuck up too. <laughs> yes, he's a total fuck up. He's, um, uh, he's reprimanded for selling black market liquor and cigarettes. Yes, yes. Milford was brought up on serious charges of black market trafficking of stolen army property. Primarily liquor and cigarettes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so he's bouncing around. Uh, what, what, what happens is is that he, rather than endure the normal protocol of a court martial, it appears Milford instead offered a uh, to volunteer in quotes uh, for a special detachment stateside. Yeah, which brings him to uh, first. Uh, I believe he's. In yeah, El so he's like, New Mexico. Yeah, he first is in White Sands. He ends up in White Sands. Yep. That's a big incident. Uh, we'll talk about it in part eight of the return. But Douglas Milford was there when they the Manhattan Project split the atom and gave the world Bob. Yep. Uh, yep. We'll and then he ends very up much. Then he ends up in Roswell working at a PX when the infamous UFO incident in Roswell happened. Uh, he's a yeah he's, yeah he's so, a real son of a bitch so he steals a truck <laughs> he steals a truck and goes to the incident and which leads him getting um uh interviewed by the men in black 
Well, oh, no. G-Man. He's interviewed by, yeah, it's a G-Man. G-Man. He's interviewed mm-hmm. by a G-Man. Uh, he, he, so he steals a truck. He goes out there. He's seeing things he probably shouldn't be seeing, uh, which is, you know, that's, you know, that's military, government talk. Uh, he's, uh, he's being kind of questioned. He's cocky as shit. You know, he's complaining about the coffee at base and wants a cigarette. Yep. He's <laughs> um, cocky as shit. And then, then he does the most brilliant thing at the end of this. Um, he said, uh, uh, you know, it looked like, you know, who did you say, just say who you saw? Looked like it was General Twinning. And he says, Nathan uh, F. Twinning, commander of the Air Material for, uh, uh, Material Command. Yes, sir, that General Tilling. Um, the inter- recording is interrupted, then it resumes with, what did the general do when he first arrived to the scene? And Douglas, just the cocky bastard he is, um, he basically says, you know, um, listen, no disrespect, sir, but would you mind if I spoke briefly to your superior officer? Why? You could tell him that this isn't the first time I've seen something like this. Yeah. And so I'm reading the book for the first time and I'm getting pissed off now because like, I'm like, oh, God, are they making the Lodge into these space aliens? Mm-hmm. I'm livid. Yes. <laughs> Because you're not thinking, through space aliens. If they're going to be doing this, then I probably have no interest in season three. <laughs> uh, and but, it's, you know, tell, tell them about uh, Ken Arnold and how you, you didn't know that Ken Arnold was a real person. Yeah, so the next chapter, so what happens is Douglas, uh, he, he we'll just, we'll just, I'm just going to bring it up. He keeps getting promoted up. Yeah. <laughs> the military. Every time he's reintroduced in a chapter, he has a new higher, oh, yeah. higher ranking for some reason. Mm-hmm. So uh, so what happens is after Roswell, around Roswell, there's a, a slew of UFO sightings in the country. And like the chapter introduces us to Kevin Arnold. Uh, or Kenneth Arnold. Kevin Arnold's yeah. from Wonder yeah. Years. <laughs> right. Yeah, Kevin Arnold. Ken Arnold is something. I mean... Yeah, yeah, Kevin is someone different. Yeah, so Ken Arnold is a uh, well-respected man. Uh, he's a pilot. He sees uh, nine discs in the sky and reports it. Yep. Uh, I annoyed. I thought, so I'm like, oh, what's, you know, whatever. And then I find out, you know, I kind of look up the name, like, holy shit, this is actually, UFO sightings are famous Yes. I had no idea Kenneth Arnold was a real person. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I had a kind of a different approach because, you know, I was really into the X-Files. And as a kid, I was really fascinated by the ideas of UFOs because, you know, my dad, um, who, uh, you know, my, my father was a staunch conservative Republican Marine um, and, you know, no nonsense type of guy, like, you know, he joked around, but he didn't believe in, in bullshit, but he said to me that, you know, there's two things that stand out that what my dad said to me in his life, which was, uh, one, when he was uh, about eight or 10, he saw a UFO. Um, he really believes he saw one. And then he had a dream the night before Kennedy got killed that his best friend who had been um, killed in Vietnam um, was grabbing his head and 
was saying, they shot me in the head, Billy. They shot me in the head. These were two paranormal or supernatural events that my father, to his dying day, believed in. So as for me, I was I, so I got kind of interested in UFOs. But as I've gotten older, um, I don't think they want to come here. Yeah, we're kind of uh, we're we're hillbillies, uh, Douglas Adams and Hitchhikers Guide to the Galaxy. Kind of yeah. made a joke that we're kind of like the backwaters hillbillies of the universe. So aliens typically don't want to communicate with us. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, it's. I still don't know what to think, but it, so what happens is Kenneth Arnold reports what he saw. So does uh, I forget his name, Dahl. Is Dahl. One. Yep. Yep. Uh, Char- Charles Dahl. Charles Dahl. Uh, his uh, son. They see something over. Uh, Pudget sound, mm-hmm. uh, similar to kind of what Ken Kenneth Arnold saw, uh, and so we're getting more of these sightings. And Doug Milford seems to have a new job now in the government. Yeah, yep. he is uh, the first man in black. He is essentially the 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 beginning of the men in black. Yep, he is the he is the first one. And we see this is originally this is the first of many investigative entities in the government. This is he's part of Project Sign, yes. In which they uh, this for, for this initial one is to document these sightings and uh, talk to the people and see what just to see what's actually happening and then kind of make them shut up a little bit. Yeah, uh, but just because but they don't under mass panic. Project, yeah, but under Pro- Project Sign, it was much more of a you know, um, nicer way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's predecessor is, uh, we'll get into that because yeah. uh, it was more abrasive and then it, that really pissed off the people. Yes. <laughs> so they had to re- reconfigure that. They had to reconfigure it, but you know, here's the thing. Um, these you know, are real it, things too. People. These are real things. You can look this up. Project sign was a real thing. Um, and it says the most likely candidate appears to be emerging that that Doug Milford was working for uh, was the emerging project sign investigating the sightings, but also suppressing information, intimidating witnesses, stifling inquiry. At the worst, he's guilty of sabotage and even murder. This yeah. was the nice version of this. Yeah. And it's, uh, so, yeah, he. A lot of the a lot of the people who were shot up or whatever, it turns out the government basically either bribed them or tried to coerce them with uh, personal things they find out about them. Like if you continue talking about this, we'll expose you for blah blah blah. A lot of times it's uh, left leaning ideals or whatever, which was you know just because. And as we alluded to, when he when Milford shows up. He just starts getting these random promotions. He's now a U.S. Air Force major. (laughs) (laughs) And so Milford, you know, he talks with these uh, individually. He's he seems just like with uh, Arnold. He seems generally just there to investigate what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to Dahl and. Harold the others, it becomes dolls, especially uh, his. He kidnaps his child mm-hmm. as a way to intimidate him. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's nefarious. It's 
I don't know if these events actually happened, but I wouldn't put it past the how government agencies did shit back then. Right. It's, it's not outside the realm of reality. Again, Frost is blurring the lines between fiction and reality here by using yes. actual yes. history. Are, yeah, it's and it's put very much characters. <laughs> because at this point, we start hearing that there was an incident um, in uh, 18 um, that was Milford himself that was at Twin Peaks. And this leads to an introduction of a character, um, Robert Jacoby. <laughs> yeah. Sound reporter. Uh, reporter. Lawrence's brother. Yep, yeah. Lawrence's brother. Yes. And, yep, I have to report that the reporter for this story's older brother uh, is the older brother of Dr. Lawrence Jacoby, a psychiatrist. And they use Russ Tamlin's photo for him. <laughs> I know. It's so awesome. He looks as just a young, it's a very, very young Russ Tamlin. I love Russ Tamlin. So. I do too. I mean, obviously that was like a um, a, 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 a studio shot or you know, like a headshot for, yeah, for him. Yeah, younger acting years. Around yep. probably the time he was in West Side Story with uh, Richard Bramer. Exactly. <laughs> both of them were in West Side Story. Both of them were in West Side Story, which is awesome. So then we start getting, um, you know, some, getting more into kind of the alien stuff again. UFO experiences. Um, but then Robert writes about three uh, children vanishing. Yeah, but this is preceded by a chapter before the children go vanishing. This is yeah. preceded by, so Project Sign is now kind of turning into grudge. Um, yes. It's an in-between area between Project Sign and Project Grudge. Uh, they're listing the, the sightings of UFOs. That they're taking seriously out of the hundreds and thousands that are being reported. Uh, two of them are right out of Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. One of them's done by one of the members of uh, Project Sign, and it's Douglas Milford. And he recites the story. Of, uh, so, yes. He returns to Twin Peaks because Hank Jennings' grandfather saw a fighter pilot chasing uh, what he's. Unidentified flying object. Yep, Elmer. Elmer. <laughs> or Einer. 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 Einer so, Jennings. So Doug decides to take this differently than others since he's known in Twin Peaks. He can't really be a, a man in black because people just know who he is. But he knows Elmer. And he basically sets him down and has him tell the story. He's just kind of questioning him. Then he starts sprinkling. Well, you know, this could just ruin your life, man. People are just going to think you're crazy. <laughs> he, he just kind of silences yeah. them that way. Yeah. Uh, but after he leaves, he has a, a strong need to head back to Glastonbury Grove for no reason. For it just no comes reason. over him. And he goes, he starts walking through the woods, and he gets up there, and he sees three children frozen like we saw Annie in the yep. pit. Uh, he describes it pretty much similar to what we saw with Wyndham Earl and Annie at the, the finale. Yes. And he sees a giant like entity and uh, it's pointed out by the uh, uh, Tammy or the archivist he's not really describing a ship. No. He no, just he's says not. this thing is as big as a house and what we you know from what we've seen in the show those curtains, the red curtains of the Black Lodge, go way up into the sky. 
Yes, yes, they do. So when he kind of comes through and it's daylight again, he notes um, everything was gone. So were the children. I scored the area for them and found no trace of anyone's presence, nor did I come across a single piece of physical evidence indicating that a ship or craft of that size had been there. And he gets the fuck out of there. <laughs> yeah, he's not an idiot. <laughs> Doug's yep. a smart guy. Doug's yeah. a smart guy. Uh, he says that that urge that drove him there has vanished. Yep. He makes a note of that. And then, then we get uh, Robert Jacoby's story about three children who went missing in the woods for a day. Yep. And they're all safe and sound. They're all safe and sound. Uh, Robert's an odd reporter again like i work in newspapers so it's it's hilarious to me to see how people who never worked in a newspaper think news reporters would write right right <laughs> they're safe and no, sound oh i know uh yeah. so robert's talking about these three children uh they're on uh going in the woods you know for school and three of them disappear uh and they just kind of vanish uh, doug saw them vanish <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. And oddly, these two two of them we know. Uh, yes, we do. Little Margaret Coulson, a nice log lady. I like how uh, Frost gave her last original last name, her maiden name, as uh, the actress's last yep. name. Yep. And uh, Carl Rod. <laughs> Carl, we love Carl Rod. Oh, Carl, he's been places. Carl's been places, and he doesn't want to go back. <laughs> we now know why. And again, this gave us a little more clue into why Carl was very uncomfortable. Because in Firewalk With Me, we see what Paul and I agreed as a lodge entity, and it seemed like it, it just jarred him. Yep, it was there, too, because there they'd be like, hey, keep your fucking mouth shut. Yep. Yeah. Because I, I could be wrong, but I don't really get indication that uh, Sam Stam, Stam and, uh, you know, Chet really Chet. registered. That it was a lot of yeah. Yep. No, no, they didn't register. dirty old woman. Mm -hmm. So we get the physical examination of, of uh, Margaret, um, of the log lady, when she was uh, age seven. Uh, go ahead, Joe. You uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, Doc Hayward's father is the medical, is the doctor who examines her. Mm -hmm. uh, she's very dehydrated. She drinks a pint of water, but still not soothing her thirst. Uh, she has no memory of what happened, but she's got uh, burn marks on her. In triangular form, we saw this in... Uh, the uh, season two finale uh, or in season two, I don't know if it's the finale or not, but she re remarks upon it because uh, major Briggs has these. Yes. And they're all different patterns from the people that get these. Uh, the doctor is, so he has that and he just chalks it up to like, he doesn't really investigate too hours. Like she must've probably got burned or something. Uh, she's it slightly hurts, but he doesn't put doesn't really care. And then she's before he leaves the the room, he's like, she asks, "Is the owl returning?" Yeah, which so this is, is like, yeah, we're getting multiple references to a, a large talking owl, which I'm 
I'm assuming is a lodge entity that we have not seen. We've seen the yeah. owls, but we not this particular one leading us to like Frost is kind of expanding these entities. Uh, he's playing around the lodges a lot, but he's not diving into it as uh, as I think uh, that's more of Lynch's territory. Mm-hmm. So, but he's given yeah. us like he's given us a roadmap to this. He's uh, given very much a roadmap, and. Um... You know, it also kind of starts to point out that there are a bunch of entities that we don't know about. Yeah, uh, and it all, yeah. It's point, this book shows us there's not only, not only is there more entities, there's more entrance points, which we'll get to. Which we'll get to. The world in which the lodges reside in. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see that a lot in the, in the secret history. Yeah. Or in the, in the, in the return. Yeah. And uh, then we have, uh, we get a little brief history of Carl. Uh, mm-hmm. Carl. <laughs> Carl Rod. Yep. Who joined the Coast Guard the year he graduated from high school and climbed the ranks there, uh, serving on a patrol boat under heavy combat during the early years of the Vietnam War. Uh, he then, um, he has the, uh, the owl mark on his back of his right knee, the same one that the log lady has and he kind of you know after the war he you know he uh, got rescued because uh, he was in a earthquake in anchorage and in a suing tsunami and got rescued by the aluit people um and which uh he resolved to live with them for five months um he it was said by rod himself that he underwent a spiritual conversion while in their company that saved his life, adopting their deist or animal form of shamanism. He married a woman, but she and the baby died during childbirth. And this sent him kind of on a, you know, I, I, I just picture it as like a total PT, uh, PTSD guy just kind of wandering after a war vet trying to figure out where his place is. Yeah. Uh... And this is where we also get, Joe, why don't you talk about this? Because you caught this better than I did. Um, this is where we get the first retcon. Yeah, uh, there's a, there's a couple big retcons in this, uh, which is kind of kind of explained <laughs> with the return in the final dossier. I, I mm-hmm. I'm I'm not 100 buying that. Uh, his uh, fat trout <laughs> trailer park and fire walk with me was in Deer Meadow, but now it's in Twin Peaks. And it's like that in the return as well. They've moved it, mm-hmm. uh, probably just to keep get have the car in Twin, Twin Peaks. Peaks. Yeah, because we thought that Fat Trout was in Deer uh, Deerwood or Deer uh, Meadow. Deer Meadow, and we were assuming that Deer Meadow is pretty far away from Twin Peaks. Yeah, just a bit, but the final dossier kind of uh, plays a little loose with this and kind of says Deer Meadow is not that far. From Twin mm-hmm. Peaks, yeah. I was under the impression it's like an hour or two hour drive. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, they retcon Carl <laughs> Carl's uh, trailer park. Now it's in Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah, and I'll just kind of loosely uh, bring up another one because we're not really going to get into this backstory. Uh, Norma's mom is retconned. Yes, he's no longer uh, the 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 food reviewer, which is a yep. weird. Th- thing which is a weird thing but i think it's because both frost and lynch hated it 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot in this thing. I think this is where the retconning went in, where Frost and Lynch were like, this never would have happened. So if we had stayed around, this never would have happened. So fuck this. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's here. And the, the other, uh, I'm trying to read. Uh, the, ret, the other retcon that stands out, we'll get into it, is with Josie and when she shot Cooper. Yep. Uh, that doesn't make any sense at all with the show. <laughs> no, no, it makes no sense. Yeah, and then yeah, so there's like a lot of these kind of like weird little incidences that just kind of it's played around with, and it, it, I see the normal one, the Cooper one. I, I I might just chalk up to just forgetting what happened when. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's been 25 years. I don't think they went back and rewatched everything. So then we start to hear about Project Grudge, as we talked about. Yeah. Um, you know, Grudge and, is another, and, another real organization. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Douglas Milford is promoted up again. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is Spear. He, become, he joins Project Grudge at a time when uh, a young Richard Nixon <laughs> yep. interviews L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> yes, yes, when he was a congressman. Yeah, um, Nixon yeah. is L. Ron Hubbard. Hubbard's, uh, he has spent time with one of the co-founders of Jet Propulsion Institutes. Uh, one, uh, what's his name again? Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons. Um, you know, we just want to say, you know, what, what was the difference between sign and grudge was that it was the same people, essentially, same personnel engaging in essentially the same work, but with a different mission. With Project Red, we was to not only investigate and report, but debunk any and all sightings and mundane uh, phenomena and outright hoaxes. At this point, it was a full-on disinformation campaign with the with the U.S. Uh, media. And what happens? Grudge uh, has a short life, obviously, because uh, guess what? When you call American citizens liars, they're not going to take it well, and they start doing our letter-writing campaign to local newspapers, mm-hmm. just being pissed off at these at Project Grudge personnel, FBI, G-men, and all that. And they had to restructure it pretty quick. But with Grudge, for short life, uh, Doug is sent to Pasadena. <laughs> yes, but be, now in the book, we're, we're going to go into that more. Because what next comes up in the book um, is a really weird part that this kind of kind of shoehorned in in a way, because now we're gonna now it gets into all the people of Twin Peaks. It goes into a book, uh, par- a portion of a book that Robert Jacoby wrote. That's not a real book. That goes into the we learn more about the Catherine and Pete and how they got together. Then we get the Andrew Packard case, and we learn what a fucking badass Josie was. Yeah, she is. Uh, she's all red from Kill Bill. She is. Her real name is Lee Chung Fung, and she was born September second, nineteen fifty-six. Uh, and her dad was a high-ranking Red Pole officer in the in, in a Triad gang. Her mother was a prostitute in the Triad gang, died from a heroin overdose, and so her father wrote raised her. As um, as as her, you know, as he started gain the ranks or gotten the second command of the triad, he starts like, "Hey, you're you're this is the family business. 
Welcome to Triad Country. Yeah, and it's unprecedented because <laughs> she's like one of the first women to be able to join the ranks. Mm-hmm. And so she studied uh, criminality the way a street urchin uh, in the uh, Peking opera um, learns acrobats. She was brilliant. Um, at 16, she organized and ran her own drug and prostitution ring, entrapping and extorting members of the administration and with blazing blackmail scheme. Um, you know, fearing her father, no one would testify against her, and she graduated with honors. She went on to become a, a runway model and founded her own fa- uh, fa- a fashion label, which serves as a cover for her cocaine distribution and sales. <laughs> um, you know, and she identifies uh, as a person of, of interest in a connection of series of accidental overdoses <laughs> uh, which eliminated many of her rivals and the, a fashion designer who she had a public feud with i mean she was cunning to the yeah. point where she, in 1980 she had her father her father, her father was killed in a in a gunfire uh in a nightclub go ahead joe so she had her father killed, and this turns the triad against her. Uh, you don't kill the boss. Yep. She uh, thought she was going to be next in line, and the triad's like, fuck that. And it's interesting that this part of the dossier is written by none other than Agent Cooper himself. Uh, he's mm-hmm. He went to Interpol. He was doing this while he was the post-Laura Palmer murder. Uh, he was doing this on his own time, and it, it, he did it to break some hard truths to Harry, and he leaves it in the bookhouse for him to find, yep. to find this information. Uh, exactly. Sal Cooper, the best way for him to break this to Harry is just showing him the facts. Very methodical, mm-hmm. heavily researched. Uh, this part of the audiobook's read by Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> yes. So it's it's really cool and so Josie, and I love this because this gave Josie such a great backstory, and it just made me really love her character a lot more. Oh uh, God, yeah. So to avoid her death sentence and pending death sentence, uh, she vanishes for a bit and then latches on to Andrew Packard. Yeah. Well, through Eck- and, yeah, through Thomas. Eck- yep. Yep, and she that's ends up we get the story from season two when Eckert returns. Yep. Uh, and his rivalry with, with Andrew Packard and how he was using Josie um, for that. Then, you know, now we're going to get to part that you love. Um, we, I don't think we'll dig too much into it unless you really want to, and unless you want to. Um, the Hawk. Ballad of <laughs> Big Ed and, Nor- and Norman and Nadine. Yeah. So, the, again, like the show, they deal with the the B, C, and D plots, but they make it a lot more interesting. Very interesting. Uh, a lot. Uh, so Hawk has a chapter in the in, uh, about Big Ed, about you know how he was head over heels uh, with Norma, and how <laughs> Ed's just bad at communicating his feelings. Uh, you know he he keeps blowing it with her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> at one point, he he just signs up to go to join the army and and going to Vietnam. Uh, Hawks writes this. It is, his vernacular it makes Hawks such a more well-rounded to me. Like Way I just, more well-rounded. Like It's just hilarious. Like He's just like, you know, he's calling him a jackass. 
<laughs> yes, you get a different side of, and you get a more fleshed out version of Hawk that Which you didn't I, get in the first season, in the first two seasons. Yeah, and even the return, we don't get a whole lot of this side of Hawk. It's it's just enjoyable. Very. And uh, in the audiobook, uh, Michael Horse reads this, and it's you can just tell he's having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> yes. But this also introduces us to another character in the return, and that introduces us to Frank Truman. Harry. Yes. Yep. Frank Truman, who is Harry's brother. Yep. Played by Robert Forrester. Robert uh, Forrester. And this is like when I read this part. This is what I'm like. Oh, this is this is how they're going to deal with the, the Harry Truman part of the return, since Michael Longtian. But uh, you've told me a couple times he he just retires. He just retired from acting and just had no interest in returning. Yeah, he retired from acting, and you know he just isn't in the greatest of health from what i've read i can't confirm that that's the rumor and innuendo and of course robert forrester was lynch's first choice for harry truman for the original run of twin peaks yes yes he was so uh yes we we get introduced to the frank truman here so they're setting up some of these characters that this was the only one that i was like okay that's gonna be i i was like 99 percent sure oh this is robert forrester then (laughs) i think that just that's that's it. This is that character in the show. I yep. have no idea anything else about it, but I'm like, this is probably what that is. Exactly. Um, so yeah, then uh, we find out that Dr. Jacoby wrote a book. Oh, God. <laughs> called Banned by the Medical Community. Yeah, Banned by the Medical Community. The Eye of God, Sacred Philosophy in the Aboriginal Mind. And when you look at the back of the book... <laughs> the blurbs... <laughs> The blurbs are amazing. From Timothy um, Leary, Jerry Garcia. <laughs> yep. Murmur Baba. Uh, it says, you know, Jacoby talks the talk and definitely walks the walk. Timothy Leary. I felt like I was right there with him. Maybe I was. Jerry Garcia. I'm speechless. Murmur Baba. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jacoby publishes this book and is wildly just discredited by the medical community. Oh, God, yes. Just, that was an excuse for him to go do a bunch of drugs. Yes, absolutely, which already kind of put him in there. And they give you a better idea, so I'm going to read a little bit of just kind of the way that uh, he, when he gets Norma's psychiatry, he was Norma's psychiatrist. And no, no, Nadine's. Nadine, I'm sorry, Nadine's, yes, Nadine. After Nadine got her eye shot out. Her <laughs> eye got shot out. And uh, I'm just going to read the, the first line. Wow. Patient is really whacked out, poor thing. I mean, she is hip, hip deep in the shit. <laughs> yeah. This is on his official medical report. Oh, Jacoby. Uh, yeah, uh, we find out later uh, <laughs> how he was uh, attending Laura Palmer was found to be so wildly unprofessional. He's disbarred from practicing medicine. Yes, he gets disbarred. Yeah, uh, so, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So what does he do? Well, we'll find out in the return. <laughs> yeah. We find out the first step. Well, we kind of get, we'll get to it. But uh, yeah, so we're getting the, the, this kind of background of like these characters. And again, it makes watching the the first season and first two seasons much more enjoyable knowing these histories of these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also eventually leads to, it also answers a question of what happened in the bank. Yes. At the finale. Uh, 
Pete Martell dies a hero. He dies saving Audrey Horn. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find that out. Uh, Andrew Packard is killed, but since he was already assumed dead, uh, the powers that be decided not to... <laughs> <laughs> the paperwork would probably be too much for that one. Yep. So <laughs> and and then we, it's great because the archivist is like, <laughs> he has this line that's like, Andrew Packard rose from the dead and only only to go hurtling back to his grave. Yes. 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 <laughs> uh, this time Andrew stayed dead. The explosion was explained away by the tragic outcome of a gas leak. Um, and uh, we also get an amazing picture of Delbert Mibbler. <laughs> Poor Delbert, a week Poor away Tim. from his retirement. <laughs> a week away from his retirement, he blows up <laughs> in a bank. And I gotta say, I did like that he they Lynch brought him back for Fire Walk with me, even though it's in the missing pieces. It was great seeing another scene with him complaining about the two by fours. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And so, so Audrey yeah. goes; she's in a coma. Uh, ben Horn finally uh, wins the worst business decision in television history. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so we're, we're just I want to read one thing here about about Pete being a hero because, God damn it, I love Pete. Um, it's been confirmed that he intentionally shielded one of the victims um, as Pete Martell was found laying on top of Audrey Horn. So, I mean, yeah, when this explosion's going on, he knew he was going to die. He saw Audrey there. I mean, this guy was a heart of gold. Yeah, and he was such a great character. Such a great character. And it makes sense, like, in season one when he goes into the fire. This totally resonates as a peak thing that he would do. Yes. Uh, I'm glad they treated it like that. Uh, we got we got some closure because, I, you know, a lot of the actors had passed on by mm-hmm. this time. Uh, and a lot of them would die after the return comes out or right yep. before the return came out. Uh, you'll see it in the end credits of almost every episode of the return is dedicated. Each part's dedicated to another one of the actors who had passed on. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Each episode is kind of dedicated to people. Yeah. Um, uh, Jack Nance died in the late nineties. Uh, mm-hmm. Tragically. Uh, tragically. Yeah. Yeah. An interesting life. There's a documentary out there on him. Yes. Obviously, Dell died. <laughs> God damn Dell. God damn. Obviously, he died uh, given how old he was in the original series. <laughs> um, and so we find out that cast that this, this the death of Pete, the death of Andrew, uh, the, the even the death of Josie, it all fucked with her. Yeah, she becomes a recluse. Uh, yep. Again with the continuity. I don't know how he, the archivist talks about she became a recluse for months and then has like the slip of sale to Ben Horn, considering yep. uh, he vanishes pretty quickly after the events of uh, the finale. So yes. again, this is, I, I just think it's just uh, writer's error. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, that's essentially what we get. And then, you know, I'm not going to really get into Ben Horn. We find out a little bit more about so what happened Audrey, to Hank. So and, Audrey's in a coma. This comes into play with the return. Oh, yes, it does. Uh, yeah, it's it's gross. Her, her fate is Tragic. so depressing. It's just, yeah. yeah. But we'll get to that when we get to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we kind of get like, so this kind of wraps up 
some of the lingering cliffhangers that obviously Lynch didn't give a shit about. <laughs> obviously Lynch didn't give a shit about. Like, it doesn't get a lot of... Uh, obviously Ben Horn didn't die when Doc Hayward beat the shit out of him. <laughs> right. Right, which is what we thought happened because uh, he looks like he's dead at the end of the uh, at the end of the season. Yeah, um so, so we get the and then we got the confusing timeline of Josie shooting Cooper. Yes. It says like Cooper was investigating her. Uh he wasn't. Um, no, he was not. It says shooting uh after the Laura Palmer case is solved and we know it was the cliffhanger to season one so that's another thing like i that seems like a weird error to introduce it does seem like a weird error to introduce i always i always read into it that more she was afraid he was there because of her yeah i just when i read it reread it i was just and it's it's the timeline's just off the way no, he, the, absolutely, absolutely he's wearing the he's not wearing the vest because he's anticipating Josie's going to shoot him. He's wearing the vest because he just got back from the Jean Renault, Jacques Renault. No, yeah. 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 So, let's go back to Douglas Milford. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because that's what we get next. We get Douglas Milford and this amazing story <laughs> arc. This is stuff I I had no idea about again. like I was surprised. Uh, I didn't know anything about Jack Parsons. I had no idea L. Ron Hubbard spent time with Jack Parsons. So we got young Congressman Nixon talking to a young L. Ron Hubbard. Yep. Hubbard is there to basically throw Parsons under the bus. So we find out he's doing this. He's ripped off Parsons at this point in history. Uh, yes. Parsons is threatening lawsuits. So L. Ron Hubbard does what L. Ron Hubbard is famous for, uh, throwing people under the bus and basically getting the government to blackmail Parsons to shut up and he yes yeah, so L. Ron Hubbard's a giant piece of shit he was in real life he's in this book yes and these things are fairly accurate uh, I mean because yeah. Hubbard did uh, spend time with Parsons Parsons yep. was in black magic he was, he was in the cell of, he was in the cell Thel, uh, he was a student of Aleister Crawley yep these things are all true, and Hubbard did steal true. a lot of these ideas to create uh, Scientology. Scientology, absolutely. He it was he took a lot of the ideas of Thelmion, and when he ran off with Jack Parsons, one of Jack Parsons' girlfriends, his main girlfriend, because Par, uh, Parsons um, and L. Ron Hubbard were on his property doing a lot of sex magic and orgies and black magic that called for it. Well, he stole Parsons' woman, and when he ran off, that's when he wrote Dianetics he also, by taking a lot of this. He also stole twenty thousand dollars from Parsons. He also stole twenty thousand dollars from Parsons, and so he's getting this threat of lawsuit. So he's throwing the government. Uh, he's riding on Parsons in a sense to get Parsons to get off his back, mm -hmm. and this ultimately ruins Parsons' life because you know uh, he, he to be part jet propulsion. That company is such entwined with military technology that mm. they can't have, you know, this is this is a PR nightmare in a sense. <laughs> 100%. Now, what's interesting to me is a lot of people know about L. Ron Hubbard. But tell us more about Jack Parsons, Joe. Jack Parsons was a brilliant guy. He revolutionized rocket science at a time when most scientists thought that was just like, that's 20, 50 years in the future. No, he was able to 
in real life, he was able to do it. Now in the book, mm-hmm. he's also assisted by the ring. The ring yeah. returns. <laughs> the ring returns, and it's on Jack Parsons' fingers. Yeah. Uh, Hubbard tells Nixon that uh, Parsons is he starting. He, he spends his time there. He's observing him and then he's realizing he's seeing that Parsons becoming more and more paranoid uh, which is you know obviously that happens with drugs and money but it also happens when you're wearing the jade ring too Uh, he he talks up with Parsons at one point in Parsons private study uh, and he sees Parsons uh, fidgeting with the ring and at one point he's talking about uh, he sees the magician longs to see and Hubbard's like, what? And Parson ends the conversation after he realizes that he's going into the lodge entities is like kind of influencing him. And then he has to shut up because he doesn't want Hubbard to know too much. Yeah, no, he doesn't want Hubbard to know too much. But he ends up, him and Hubbard, uh, they find what is that? Turns out to be another entry point to the lodge worlds. Yes. In the desert in California. Yep. Hubbard doesn't know that, but no. it's implied that Parsons did. Parsons knew that because uh, Crowley told him that there is multiple points into the, this other world. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is having seen the return and then going back to this, like what Parsons is trying to summon in the desert is not only just an entry point, which is like Hell's Cavern or something, and it's it, it's to bring on the Horror of Babylon. Yeah. Yep. Which... Uh, but he's uh, since they don't have a full understanding of what they're trying to summon, we can pretty much surmise he's trying to <laughs> trying to <laughs> summon in. Judy. He's trying to summon Jowday. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. So yep. And uh, we know to an extent something happened out there that Parsons himself will never talk about. No, Hubbard will never talk about. <laughs> no, it really fucked him up. Um, yeah. Yep. So Douglas Milford under Project Grudge, after uh, his kind of downfall with Hubbard, he goes out there posing as a left-wing reporter. So, uh, I, uh, yeah, I will, before we get that, I want to read something about L. Ron Hubbard that is true that's in this book. L. Ron Hubbard, after, um, after putting out Dianetics in 1950, claimed that he only infiltrated what he called Parsons' sex cult on assignment from the military intelligence as an undercover officer. And it needs to be pointed out that um, he was discharged in 1945 as a braggart liar and opportunistic psychopath. Yep. So he was hated in the military. Hubbard was hated everywhere. And yeah. for good reason, he was a sack of shit. Um, was a sack of shit, but you know what? He was totally primed to be a cult leader. Yeah. Uh, he's like, well, you know, uh, reading up, uh, so if... If you want to know more about Hubbard, uh, Going Clear is a great documentary mm-hmm. on how giant piece of shit L. Ron Hubbard was. And Leah Romani's uh, show on Scientology. There's a lot of parallels from what I've read about Hubbard and like what I've read about other cult leaders like Charles Manson, David Koresh, and all that is like they're opportunists. Yes. Who are and just. He shares a lot of that. He shares a lot. Like if you. He shares uh, a lot of traits. Yeah, from what I've read, yeah, he's a he's sociopath, and he steals Jack Parsons' girlfriend. We marries while he's still married to his first wife. And uh, interesting in Scientology text, 
that second wife they stole from Parsons is never spoken of and never acknowledged as one of his wives. Yep. Nope. Nope. That's a real fact. <laughs> That's a very real fact. And <laughs> so, so now we got... Yeah, so now we got Milford coming in to interview a disgraced Jack Parsons. Yeah. Uh Pars- he does this. He does two interviews with Parsons. He does this first one in uh, California. Parsons is early thirties. Yep. Uh, he's just life has got him down. Uh, he tricks him into you know talking. Uh, Parsons kind of he tells him about the stuff that we've talked about, like bringing well, Hubbard out to the desert, uh, trying to summon something. When Milford asked. More about what happened in the desert. That's when Parsons' wife shows up, honking a horn, telling him, he's like, oh, I got to go. Yep. And I will say this, too. What's, what, what brought about this fall was because L. Ron Hubbard ratted on him to get himself out of trouble. To get and himself so, out of a lawsuit because he, he stole 20 grand from Right. Parsons. And you have to understand that in this point in history – there very much was a real House of Un-American Activities Committee. Oh, yeah, that lasted up until the early that, 70s. That lasted up until the early 70s with the, with the famous Have You No Decency. Um, yeah. HUAC. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. And that was, and that's parts true, Parsons was targeted by the House of Un-American Activities. Because Hubbard threw him under the bus. Because Hubbard threw him under the fucking bus. And it ruined his life. He was never able. Yes. His security. So the first interview uh, Milford does is to see if he's should still because he's still kind of working. He still has his security clearance. Mm-hmm. Milford's like this guy should not have a, his security clearance. Uh, good enough guy, but he can be more trouble than he's worth. Sort of. Yep. Thing. This ruins Parsons' life even more. More because he suddenly killed in a Pasadena explosion. Yeah, Which that's a is, few years later. Yep. <laughs> a few years later, Milford comes back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Milford him. comes back in 1952. And <laughs> Parsons' apartment has these explosives and weird things. He sees that Parsons still working on different uh, jet fuel uh, mm-hmm. ideas, which he's tec- technically not supposed to. But, I mean, uh, I guess that's a gray area. You can't really tell people. Writing out formulas, they can't do that. <laughs> right. He also right. has like a giant, uh, giant uh, black devil skull pointed, painted on his wall. It's, Parsons is like off the rails, and he still has the ring. <laughs> yes. Yep. He still has the ring, and you know it was. Uh, yeah. It's it's highly highly suspect that it was. Well, they the, the book. The uh, this dossier, this Twin Peaks version, it implies Doug had him blown up. <laughs> yeah, had him blown up, or he summoned a fire demon. So yeah, those are the one or two options that. that I'm, I'm leaning think. towards Doug had him. Blown up. I'm leaning towards Doug had his ass blown up. <laughs> so now we start getting into Project Blue Book, which was also a very real thing. Yeah, Project Blue Book, and, and we know this from uh, obviously this is Twin in, in the show. Uh, this is when uh, Briggs is, talks about his work with Project Blue Book to Cooper when he mm-hmm. has the readout that says Cooper, 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 and the owls are not what they seem. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blue Book was uh, 
it, it was ultimately more of a PR reaction to what Grudge was. And this is very real. Uh, Grudge, like I said, pissed off a lot of people. Yep. You call people liars. And at this point, so many people are seeing this sort of phenomena that you're creating more unrest by making them angry. Yes, so because they just put everything up as as um, mass hysteria. And the public's response was, fuck you. And so Blue Book was more successful in that in that it pretty much tampered it down. Like, yeah, we're looking into it. Uh, it's more open-minded, mm-hmm. the book uh, says. Uh, it's because the leadership's like, no, I want answers. And, like, with Grudge, it was very... Uh, they didn't want answers. Singly focused on just one answer and that absolutely not. Uh, yeah, so Blue Book comes along. Yep. Also along with Blue Book is a shadow, another project being run by the, the Council of Twelve. Yes. Uh, and that's called Project Gleam. Yes. Gleam is actually, we find out in the book, is doing most of the heavy lifting on these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just sending, we find out that Gleam is sending Milford on wild goose chases, which turn out to not really be that, like, Milford right. Force Gump, he somehow gumps his way into like these big cases. Oh God, yeah, he does. Oh God, yeah, he does. Yeah, Project Gleam is kind of like the the side, even secret or more secret version of yeah. what Blue Book is doing. Mm-hmm. And we have a little bit of Paperclip, Project Paperclip. If you want to talk about that briefly, yeah, um, Project Paperclip uh, was also a very real thing um, after the World War II. Um, all the major uh, countries signed a treaty basically saying that we would not accept any mil- any medicine or medical uh, advancement that came out of the um, the Nazi, uh, what they did to the Jews and minorities um, at concentration camps. All the, it was just gory and that, you know, they were going to, we were going to basically not have anything to do with anyone of these Nazis. Well, Russia, it's, it's debatable, you know, on which side started first, but Russia starts nabbing some of these Nazi scientists. So America started nabbing Nazi scientists, started putting them in NASA and in um, government uh, positions and really, you know, people wonder what kind of what happened in the 50s and 60s with all this hatred of counterculture. It's because of Project Paperclip. These Nazis, these fascists, were put in positions of power. Yeah. Real thing. Uh, yeah. It, it's <laughs> History is not very, uh, it's not a lot of feel-good moments in history. No, no. So I mean, that's yeah, why we mark big events by war. Yeah. So uh, Blue Book starts. Uh, Milford has now. He's part of that. Uh, he's he's slowing down a bit though. Now he's uh, he's still working, and he create he has a he also has an insider in the Eisenhower administration called M. Turns out he, his liaison is uh, Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Nixon has a very intense interest on Project Blue Book. He wants yes. his own. He wants to eventually, over ten years, uh, until up into his election, he's very interested in creating his own uh, M twelve 
the, you know, the Council of Twelve. He wants to create his own version of that. Uh, so he, he's in liaison with uh, uh, Doug. Uh, and then when he's elected in 68, he has big plans for Douglas Milford in that uh, we're going to get down to this. We're going to figure this out. Uh, I want you to covertly create a, a team of people you trust, and we're going to do this off the books. Uh, it's not uncommon in federal government and intelligence. These things happen. Um, and then, you know, Doug decides to move back to Twin Peaks, buys the newspaper. He's kind of settling down a little bit more. <laughs> and uh, he gets a he, get, he he has summers in Florida, where he, he gets a call from <laughs> an intoxicated Richard Nixon to come out and visit him. <laughs> uh, he does. Uh, it's Richard Nixon and a redacted person. <laughs> we find out is Jackie Gleason. Uh, so Nixon has Doug. And Jackie Gleason there, and he's a few drinks in. He's like, I want to show you guys something. He brings them to an Air Force base where he shows them if what first he shows them a craft that could have been a UFO. Uh, Douglas is just like, Yeah, it could have been a, a trash car for all I know. Like, he's very professional. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then what they show. Again, Jackie Gleason, what the fuck? Jackie Gleason, yeah. Why is Jackie Gleason in that? I apologize. I was, I heard you. My mic got cut out for a little bit there, so oh, that's why you weren't hearing me. Oh, no. Um, yeah, we know it's Jackie Gleason because at the end of this, there is a picture of fucking Jackie Gleason. Yeah, and uh, the number that the redacted person gives uh, Doug to call and meet up again after this is to a, an unlisted number that is Jackie Gleason. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what they see, the second thing they see, uh, it's oddly familiar to what we see in the glass box in uh, The Return. Yeah. They see an alien of some sort. Uh, Nixon alludes to it later as uh, a survivor of one of the crashes in Roswell. Uh, it's a... It, it, Glitches, it reappears, it glitches, it reappears. It's a lot what we see of Judy when Uh we do see Judy. Uh, I don't think this is Judy. I think it's, uh, this could very much be an alien or a a lodge entity. I'm leaning towards that it's a lodge entity and it's a Jody or Judy isn't necessarily the only big bad or a, a powerful lodge entity or something kind of like Judy that can operate outside the lodge. Yeah. So this terrifies, terrifies, <laughs> well, Doug's un, unsettled by it. Uh, mm-hmm. He's seen things. He's seen uh, things and he doesn't want to go back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this just, this fucks up Jackie Gleason. <laughs> oh, I fucked Jackie Gleason up so bad. Yeah, he goes through a depression funk. Yes. Uh, uh, and during this time, Doug notices that Nixon's also uh, fidgeting with a jade ring. <laughs> yep. Nixon's got the ring, ladies and gentlemen. This can only go one way. <laughs> oh, it does, because 
Three months later, uh, Nixon finds out the Supreme Court has ruled against him on an executive privilege on his tapes during the Watergate hearings. And he drunkenly calls Douglas Milford. Doug Milford. In the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. Uh, paranoid as all hell. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the enemies of... They're, they're out. They're tearing him down. Uh, he's... <laughs> nothing's safe. I can't talk. Yep. Uh, he does. He's, but he wants to keep continue the research that Doug has been doing uh, with uh, Blue Book. Blue Book's been at this shut point down. It's pretty much defunded. Yeah, shut yep. down. Yep. Uh, it is just uh, so. It, his plan is uh, somebody's going to reach out to you. His yeah, man in the, the FBI. man in the FBI, the one I told you about. I have his contact. He's like, well, he's the only one. Wait a while, then set up a meeting. And don't do it over the phone. Nothing in writing. Just get it done. Uh, mm-hmm. Who is that liaison, Paul? Uh, that liaison would be one Gordon Cole. <laughs> Gordon Cole. <laughs> I love the idea of the loudest man. I just want to picture him in Nixon's <laughs> Oval Office with all the recording apparatuses. Mm-hmm. Imagine transcribing those notes. Jesus. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. Gordon Cole is a uh, liaison to Richard Nixon. <laughs> he's a liaison to Richard Nixon. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Then we uh, find out that uh, it moves to another point where we get to the Blue Pine Mountain. Yep. And so, yeah. Milford's, Milford's working with Cole. Yep. With uh, and it, by the way, we didn't mention this. He's a colonel now. By the way. Yeah, he's a, he's yeah he's Colonel Milford. <laughs> Somehow he's Colonel fucking Milford. Uh, and he has more money than uh, nobody knows where he's getting his money from. He's had four divorces at this point. Yep. No one knows where his money's coming from. Uh, he buys the paper. He settles back down in Twin Peaks, and uh, it's it's a lot of this is alluded is because of his work with Cole. Yes, uh, this is a hotbed now with a phenomena with uh, Glassberry Grove and all that, and they bring in none other than Major Briggs. Major Briggs, and you know he puts out Doug Milford, put out a, a thing in the paper saying "Welcome to town." Yeah, that and, doesn't happen. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't happen. And how we're happy to have you. Well, someone's not happy um, about about him being there. Well, because there's things going. Uh, Briggs is there to technically to help the the airport being built in Twin Peaks with uh, the technology and all that to streamline it. And it's also so <laughs> his ulterior motive is Blue Pine Mountain. Yep, <laughs> where there's construction going on uh who's upset by this paul uh one carl rod because he's seen things and he doesn't want to go back um <laughs> i'm just gonna read this open letter um, open letter to mayor Dwayne milford uh this is from the editor uh, letters to the editor i don't know what you people think is going on here but i could tell you it's a whole lot worse than you even know about Every morning and every evening, I take my walk through the woods, rain or shine, and hear the sounds of construction going on way up in the mountain. 
just around the clock. It's steep as hell up there. Strange lights at night. Grayers driving in. Cutting new roads. Black jeeps and helicopters and a whole lot of cement trucks. Of course, it's all fenced in with those no trespassing or else signs. <laughs> like, it's, like it's theirs to do what they please with. Um, this is supposed to be our national forest. But no. Armed guards, too. So any Nimrod can see it's military. But you won't see any unit insignias on them. No, sir. I don't know if it's the Knights of Columbus, the Knights Templar, the Illuminati, or the Trilateral Commission. It doesn't matter. They're on a bunch of different costumes anyways. Always have been. So, um, you know, ever wonder why the symbol of Bohemian Grove is an owl, a big giant statue, one standing out in the woods like some ancient Sumerian deity? It's a story as old as time. If you don't know who's really in charge, you'll never figure out how they're screwing you sideways. <laughs> well, what's the price of freedom? Of, uh, if the, well, the price of freedom is vigilance. So what are you going to do about it, Mr. Mayor? Oh, this sets off a chain reaction. Yeah, so Milford's away in business. Uh, he finds out this letter's printed and fires his editor. Um, um, Dwayne's like, Wants to look into it. Uh, you know, he makes an announcement. He's going to look into it. And oddly out of character, Doug volunteers to help since he has his connections in the military. Mm -hmm. uh, Dwayne, a couple FBI agents show up. Uh, they took a look around and then they, they send a letter to Dwayne saying it's top secret as to something to do with the Star Wars uh, defense yeah, yep, yep, the SETI system. Yep. Yeah. Uh, signed, Agent Jeff Philip Jeffries and Agent Gordon Cole. <laughs> yes. FBI Regional Director Gordon Cole, Special Agent Philip Jeffries. This communication is for your eyes only and classified secret. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, just tell the people, thank you for your due diligence, but uh, there's nothing really going on in here that really needs to concern you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so we Briggs is now here. Uh, he reveals that he is the archivist mm -hmm. around this time. Uh, around this time, we get a we little get, later. A little later, but what happens yeah. is there's a chapter on uh, the events of Laura Palmer. Yes, uh, we learned that Jacoby's disbarred from practicing yep. medicine, uh, but bringing Cooper to town sets something off with uh, Briggs. He's he's. Uh, well, Cooper comes and all this phenomena starts happening. He starts yeah. having and, visions, uh, seeing things, dreams. And I just want to touch on one thing in here because the actress, um, uh, Catherine Calhoun, um, was very, very sick. Coulson. Um, Catherine Coulson. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Catherine Coulson, yes. Um, she was super sick. And um, they do this wonderful... Um, editorial where she writes something where she writes this big thing about the woods and it's really kind of humanizes her um, yeah. as as a character but it's not written by her it's written by Robert Jacoby yeah. and then we find out you know I gotta yeah, we find out the, the history of the log it's interesting we kind of already knew a sense because she talks about you know we hear about her husband dying in the fire uh, he becomes uh, a liaison with the lodges to her. Uh, he 
this fucks her up though, like losing her husband. Yeah. But uh, he communicates to her like their love is so strong and pure. Uh, he becomes a liaison for her about what the goings on in the woods. Uh, but she she goes, to, you know, she already had the trauma as a child. This trauma is another huge trauma. She be, you know, she kind of she becomes a recluse. Yep. Uh, but it's beautifully written. It gives it, such a rich backstory to the log lady. Uh, yeah, again, the actress, she was very sick. It's We'll get to it because it's heartbreaking, her last scene in The Return. Oh, yeah, we'll get in that in The Return. But then we find out Robert Jacoby died. And I love this because it's just another picture of Russ Tamley. Yeah, Russ Tamley. <laughs> <laughs> another headshot from probably the 80s. <laughs> right? Right. Fucking amazing. <laughs> Log Lady is a nice, uh, nice eulogy for him. Uh, yep. But then uh, we learn, like with with Cooper now coming to town, uh, Agent Tammy Preston starts kind of looking into the reasons why, and she finds on an old computer uh, she ran because she these some names are coming up it's for the Deer Meadow murder with Agent Chester Desmond and Sam Stanton. Stanley, yeah. uh, she came up with, uh, discovered it from a secure server in the FBI Philadelphia office. She ran a search for Desmond and Stanley and came up with this, just this list, this list of names. Gordon Cole, Philip Jeffries, Chet Desmond, Sam Stanley, Wyndham Earl, Dale Cooper, and Albert Rosenfeld. So we, this is what we learned is the Blue Rose Task Force. This is the Blue Rose. They picked up. The, they picked up after Blue Book in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. And started realizing that things weren't alien. They were the entities and these entry points here to the yes. logic. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jeffries vanishes in Buenos Aires. Uh, Chet Desmond vanishes. Sam Stanley comes back uh, so shooken after the events in Deer Meadow that he... He takes a leave, falls to alcoholism, and never returns to the FBI, which Tammy's yep. like, seems like if you're on this list, unless you're Gordon Cole or Rosen, Albert Rosenfeld, you have a bad something. You don't have a good uh, good ending to your story. Well, <laughs> and at this point, Cooper's missing. Yeah, and that's something to point out was that this was why Gordon Cole was so hesitant about bringing more people in other than him and Albert. At this point, because Wyndham Earl went crazy. Um, yeah, Stan Stanley, Chet Desmond disappeared, Phillips disappeared, Dale Cooper disappears. The only ones that are left are Gordon Cole and Albert. Yeah. And, and this, uh, well, we'll get into this part a little bit later, but yeah. So then we find more notes on Laura Palmer and, you know, getting into this big thing written by Jacoby. Then we get Dear Sir. After consideration of your case, the State Medical Review Board has decided to indefinitely suspend your license to practice medicine as a psychiatrist of Washington. Uh, please be aware that any violation is just a revocation. So, yeah, um, he, write, he wrote a big report about Laura Palmer. Yeah, wildly unprofessional. Notes. Wildly unprofessional notes. In there. We'll, as we discussed, especially with the missing pieces, his interest in Laura was dark was dark uh, it, was, it added to her trauma um, again i'm glad they left that part out of 
uh, fire walk with me because it just felt like it was piling on at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, but yeah, he was, uh, he was not, Jacoby, you know, he's likable or whatnot, but he's also kind of a piece of shit too. Mm-hmm. Um, he's disbarred. Uh, but, uh, and so uh, the archivist reveals himself as Briggs. Uh, he's talking about his more candid conversations with Douglas Milford. Douglas is, uh, he's getting up there in age. He wants to get married. He wants to kind of step back. He wants to put Briggs in charge. Briggs is taken up. And we find out that Douglas Milford also compiled almost all the earliest stuff of this dossier. That was Douglas. That was Douglas's stuff. And then uh, Briggs picks it up, fills in some gaps, uh, and takes it over. Uh, And uh, so he's at Listening Post Alpha. What happens is, you know, Douglas leaves uh briggs gets bored with his job he doesn't know what he's doing it's just nothing's popping up cooper comes all, and everything all hell breaks loose yeah Not like <laughs> agent cooper sets off listening post alpha. <laughs> yes yes cooper sets off listening post alpha which is really interesting so um I, i'm gonna you know this is one revelation this is listening post alpha the death of Doug Milford marked the end of an era. It also denotes a sharp transition in the narrative of the many mysteries he thought to thought sought to answer in his work. That job would now fall on me alone. I am the man that Colonel Milford, in his capacity as commander of Listening Post Alpha, handpicked to succeed him. My name is Major Garland Briggs. Yeah. And so, yeah, then we get kind of some some back and forth between them. Yeah, because uh, Milford is like, you know, wh- you know why I picked you, uh, this sort of thing. They have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milford kind of likes, he started, you know, this is the job. So he's given uh, Briggs the information. He's kind of testing him. Uh, Briggs is passing with flying co- colors because he's a man of integrity, which is uh, Milford's history is rare to come across. Yes. <laughs> Even with amongst Milford himself, he's kind of a chat piece of shit absolutely ruined lives and killed people but this uh, when the project they're working on now seems more more uh focused than uh sign and grudge and blue book to an extent uh they're looking yeah they're looking a little outward but they're mostly focusing their energies on the woods of twin peaks and uh, ghostwood yes and Uh, I'll, i'll read this part real quick the appearance of the special agent cooper Colonel Milford confided in me that Cooper's presence here and his association with secret allies of the colonels signaled a raising of our of the ante in our stated mission. Our zone had suddenly gone hot. The data was monitoring went from zero to 60. Strange phenomenon. From the start, Cooper himself experienced turbulent phenomena. And it goes on to explain... One night soon afterward, most unexpectedly, came a breakthrough at the LPA. A message received loud and clear. What was that message, Joe? Cooper. 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 A string of Coopers. Uh, Mm -hmm. Leading us to believe uh, the multiple Coopers we see in the return. Uh, There could be more. We don't know. We only get a focus on uh, Dougie, (laughs) Sister C, Agent Cooper, but for all we know, there's others out there. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he gets the the owls are not what they seem. 
Yep. And, you know, who does he run this by? Who, who does he tell about this? Douglas Milford. <laughs> yep. Because I wanted to tell Cooper about the message, a clear violation of my charter, but Colonel Marf- Milford wholeheartedly agreed. wonder why yep. that was. Because Milford's working with Gordon Cole. What they're doing is they're grooming uh, Cooper to take over this listening post alpha and work with Briggs on this research. Uh, this research because it's Blue Rose. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's a hot spot. They've known since Teresa Banks that this is in their wheelhouse. And uh, so they're setting up Cooper to work with Briggs, uh, you know, because we kind of seen this like, like Blue Book and like Gleam and all these things. Like it's always like these separate. This is now we're finally seeing entities working together, which yes. would be, you know, the military and FBI. Uh, Milford, uh, he has a quote later on here and i just want to say because i read it and it stood out to me as like the perfect uh explanation of lynch and frost's approach to twin peaks and how we should experience it to an extent i quote but a real mystery can't be solved not completely it's always just out of reach like a light around the corner you might catch a glimpse of what what it reveals feel its warmth but you can you can't know the heart of it not really that to me just kind of sums up Twin Peaks. Hundred percent, absolutely hundred percent. And you know, uh, he gives uh, he has this letter that basically this uh, printout, this fax simile to um, to uh, Briggs. Basically says that you know, you know, whatever steps you take from here, do not act alone. Wait for your next control to appear. Yeah, which would be. Agent Cooper. Yes. Uh, he leaves this note. Uh, Briggs has gone missing. We saw this in the show. Uh, while Br- Briggs is missing, Milford dies. But he yep. leaves this note at Listening Post Alpha since Briggs is the only one who really can get there or get yeah. in there, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. And so Briggs is now, he's, he reads this and he's, he's like, okay, it's Cooper. Cooper is the one they sent here. It's all fallen into place. So he wants to talk to Cooper about this. Uh, by the time he makes this realization, uh, Cooper has vanished. Uh, yes. He calls, calls Lucy, uh, put him through to Tr- Truman. Uh, Harry's like, uh, he, he was here, and then he vanished. Uh, what happens next is uh, he's like, well, have him call me. As soon as he gets back, uh, Cooper comes out. He's tired, but he returns the call, and Briggs is excited. He's like, I get to share all this information. Yep. With yes, this is my new control. My new control. We're going we're gonna to work on this project. Cooper shows up, and just whatever happened, we don't know. We, can, we surmise from this, and when we see in the return, he's utterly disturbed by... Uh, what happened? Something's changed. Yep. So I'll, I'll read this. So um, at the very end of this particular thing, he says, only moments ago, we're writing this previous patch- passage, Cooper called, as I had requested. He's on his way to the house right now. The bell just rang. He's here. Betty's letting him in. Then at uh, 12.05 uh, Mar- p.m., March 28th, 1989, he just left. Something is wrong. The message holds the answer, just as I thought but I've misinterpreted it. Protocols are in place. I must ask quickly. I'm heading to the LPA, the LPA alone. Mayday. 
Yeah. So that's how it ends. That's yep. It says right here. The dossier ends here, and yep. this is where we, uh, first Tam- time we see, see Tammy's name. Yep, Tammy. Uh, she's submitting it. Uh, she's she's nervous because she does. She feels like it might make her look like a crackpot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but this is what Cole asked her to do. Uh, and with the timeline with her return, I imagine by the time she submits this in the show is when shortly after she's invited to be part of the Blue Rose task force. Uh, we see that. Uh, then uh, we'll talk about it next week. But what happens is uh, Listening Post Alpha burns. Yes. And yes. Uh, Briggs is never seen again. Now, what happens to Briggs, uh, that's a long and winding road. <laughs> oh, boy. That is a long and winding road. Um, uh, yeah, we got through it. Uh, that was secret history and kind of our takes on it. Uh, it's essential to for me. I couldn't imagine watching The Return without reading this. Yep. And, you know, I'm going to read the last page um, just real quick here. Um I don't know what happened to either Major Briggs or Agent Cooper at this point. These are the files on Briggs, both the FBI and the Air Force, and on Cooper at the FBI. that are designated many levels above top secret out of my reach. I've taken my analysis as far as I can. My instructions are clear. I will turn over the dossier with my findings to the director's office and wait for their response. Deadlines are pressing. I'm guessing if and only if they find my work to date acceptable, they will have me begin breaking down the other data, which I have not seen yet. The rest is out of my hands. I'm still listed on the duty roster as on assignment. But as far as I can tell, I've been removed from active service until that decision is reached. As, as Director Cole told me that time he took me out for coffee, a big part of this job, and for that matter, life, is waiting for the right moment. So this kind of gives things on... Leaves us where we're at. We don't know what happened to Briggs, which we didn't know Briggs went missing after the show. No. So that adds this. We don't know what happened to Cooper, but we know something's wrong with him. And this gives the impression that Cordon Cole is grooming Tamara Preston for the Blue Rose. Yep. Which will be yeah. the first new member in a long time. That we know of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we, we don't of. know the extent of... Uh... We'll kind of get in with the return. I have a feeling that uh, unofficially that our uh, oh, what's uh, uh, I'm just we've been talking so long. I'm no, you're fine, buddy. Uh, yeah, let's see here. I have a feeling Denise Bryson is part. Or at least aware of. Oh movies. yes, I think Denise is is in on it. Yeah. So, uh, yes. so I would put Denise Bryson in that. Uh, unofficially, she, her name doesn't show up on that list that Tammy comes across, but I, I have a feeling uh, our, our lovely Denise is part of the crew, which is awesome. I love Denise Bryson so much. But yeah, that was a. Uh, this was a long one, but there's a lot to cover, and it get this. It, it gives us a lot. It it was it sets us forth in the return, and it was fun reading this because, like, when the return started, it was just like, where did they? Where were? What were they going with the final the secret history? And they're like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay. And, and 
I want to say, first of all, I love Denise, and I agree. Denise was part of it. Absolutely, I think, was an ally to Gordon Cole, um, especially since she, we'll find out. We'll find out what happens to, with, with Denise. We'll talk about that when we get to it. Um, this was a long one, and, you know, this is a 361-page book. Um, we glossed over a lot of it. Would you say, Joe? Yeah, it, a lot of it's giving us backstory, giving us, but it ultimately, like, I think we hit the main parts of this is uh, Douglas Milford and building the Blue Rose. Uh, yes. Test. Now, I will say some of the things we skipped over is a wonderful part of the book, and I think really kind of helps. You know, I, I couldn't imagine, and you and I have talked about this. The the secret history of Twin Peaks really is required reading when going into the return. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I probably, you know, return, I felt lost anyway, but I felt like I would have been more lost without the knowledge of the Jade Ring and Blue Rose and all this stuff that we are, we're, and like Briggs especially. Yes. Briggs looms large in the return. You know, and what I didn't realize at the time reading the book, and I don't know if you did either, was that there's this huge section uh, between pages one, oh, hang on, 100, uh, 150, uh, 54 to 200 and, just one second here, uh, 200 and 38 that give a lot of backstory and information on the, the, the other characters that were in season one and two. What we didn't know was that this was giving us the closure that we wouldn't get with these characters in The Return. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Return is a whole different... And I, and I, you know, I, I see why Frost did this. I just don't think when it came to the return, either of them were that interested in bringing a lot of these characters back and explaining things. Yeah. Nope. Uh, nope. That was the point of the return. Return return has a whole different point to it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So um, we, this and the final dossier, you get your closure from the original show and you get a whole new beast with the return. Yes, you do. And I, you know, I think we have also talked about this uh, off, off air. Um, is that a lot of the ideas that are in here that happen to some of these characters, what of what we would have seen and some of the retconning that they did is if, you know, first of all, is if Frost and Lynch hadn't left, there's a lot of things in there with that retconning. I feel like this is where they saw the show going because um, they, it's been said many times, they never planned on revealing the killer and they knew what they were, what they were looking for. Um, but there was the interference there. And uh, the second point to that was that uh, it was, you know, this is what we would have seen had there been a season three. This is where they wanted the show to go. Yeah, I think Briggs would have been a bigger character. A hundred percent. hundred percent. They kind of set him up too with that scene in the finale where they Sarah comes in, 
And she's speaking lodge entity talk to him. Uh, she tells him that she's in the Black Lodge with Agent Cooper. And I think that's also, you and I have talked about that. I think that's when we first see Judy. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah, but what I want to just, you know, finalize on this book is, it really is, you know, if you are a fan, and you're listening to this show, let me put it this way. If you've been actively following our podcast and haven't read this book, you owe it to yourself to run out and get it. Because it will make you feel a lot better about the conclusion of, of season two. And, you know, you'll feel like you know what happened to these other characters that we don't see repeated in season three. Yeah, and I think not reading this book, you you will never understand the significance of Briggs in the return. It, it, it's, it's, it, it, his role in that wouldn't make any sense. If you wouldn't make any sense at all. And we're as we're going to talk about, we're going to go through the eighteen episodes of the seasons of season three, and then our final broadcast or our final podcast will be on the final dossier, which I also feel like. If you watch The Return and you want some closure, you need to read the final dossier. Yes, it gives you gives you closure uh, on a lot of things, especially with a lot of characters that Secret History didn't really get into. Uh, it, it, you know, Shelley, Bobby, uh, Norma, Annie is a big one. That was that was good to find out, although her ending is so fucking tragic. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Audrey. We get more Audrey. get more Audrey and what she was going through there. Um, yeah, it's it's absolutely required. Yeah. So next week we'll be doing the first episode of The Return. Uh, how are you feeling about that, Paul? I haven't watched it in like two years. Uh, you know, I have not watched it since its original run. But as I said, it's my favorite david lynch work we've talked about that on um before and i cannot give it enough love um so i'm super excited to watch it again i gotta say watching it twice the second time have knowing what what it is and understanding that a little better it's a lot more enjoyable <laughs> i i you know i when i watched it i wanted to see it again and um because I knew that. Like, once you know where it's going and you're not watching it week to week, I, I'll i be very honest with you, Joe. I do not watch shows week to week. I wait for when it comes out, like, on a streaming service or on DVD. But for the Twin Peaks return, there was no way I wasn't going to fucking watch it. Ever. Yeah, absolutely. That was the same way. The only other time I did a week to week show was the final season of Breaking Bad. Just because sure. I, had, I had an ability to actually see it when it aired or whatever on my schedule. But yeah, mm-hmm. other than that, The Return was the first time, uh, you know, I first time I paid for a premium channel. Yep, me I'm too. I'm glad I was able to stream it because I don't have cable. <laughs> me too. I don't have cable. So, yeah, it was it was amazing. Uh, it, it, frustrating. <laughs> the Return is a, the first time viewing The Return is a fun, really frustrating fun. Very frustrating. <laughs> but as we'll talk about it, when we get to a particular episode, it makes a particular episode that much more powerful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, this is uh, the, re- the the secret history is more fan service. Uh, the return is absolutely not fan service. Um, no, you no. earn it when they when you get you it. Earn it. Yeah, yeah, it is. No, as we talked about, this is pure David Lynch into your veins. Oh yeah. All right, and I think with that, uh, let's do some plugs, Paul. Yeah, well, Joe, what do you have going on? Uh, Brown and I, uh, uh, we had to put it off just because of scheduling and things. Uh, we still, we're still going to be reviewing Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1 because <laughs> I love torturing Brown by making him go back to Forks, Washington <laughs> with the glittery vampires. Um, and after that, we have Sports Month. Uh, we're doing uh, Any Given Sunday, uh, Mr. Baseball, uh, Bull Durham, and Foxcatcher, which I'm really excited to see Foxcatcher. I needed a reason to actually sit down and watch that. Well, uh, what do you have going on for cast that movie? Uh, so Joe and I will be filming or recording um, the new King Arthur, the and recasting the King Arthur <laughs> Legend of the Sword movie that was supposed to be a trilogy but bombed, the Guy Ritchie movie. And um, then we're going to be, for our dream project, it's actually going to be Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, for those unfamiliar, the reason why we're doing 2 is 2 is the prequel to the to the first game. And a Temple of Doom situation, huh? <laughs> Temple of Doom situation, yep. Absolutely. So what else are we working on? Well, uh, it came out uh, just uh, not too long ago. We oh. got... Bears, Beats, and Bobbleheads talking office. Uh, Paul, Scott, Paul and Scott from Cast That Movie uh, decided to do another podcast, and they invited me to be a part of it. <laughs> um, Paul, why don't you explain it? So this is a this is actually a dream project of Jode, um, whose real name is Scott. Um, it's just we use our superhero aliases when we do um, cast that movie. Um, he's always, he wanted to make a podcast about The Office. And he was thinking about a way to do it. And so what this podcast is, is Scott's a mega fan. Joe, you are a fan fan. You're about, about, about rank seven fan, you would say? Yeah, seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I am watching the episodes for the first time the day we record the episode. I have never seen a, any episode of The Office. I saw the first season of the UK version. That was it. So this is going to be interesting. And we are doing all the episodes. There's going to be 201. Scott figured out there's going to be 201 episodes. Wow. Yep. We're in for the long run. We're in for the long run on that one. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I've been watching ahead. I'm on season five. <laughs> I can't just keep binging it for it. I got, I'll keep going. I'll rewatch the ones just so I'm not confused. But yeah, I, it's, I haven't watched the show in a few years, so I, I, I just, it's a, it's a perfect show just to binge watch. This. Yes, and I am doing it very differently, where I am literally watching one episode <laughs> the day we record. So I have it fresh in my head. 
Not since yeah. Twin Peaks The Return. Have you watched the show from week to week? No, and now I picked the 201 episode show to watch week to week. Fantastic. <laughs> oh. So, oh yeah, so what it is is it's Joe and uh, Joe and Scott talking about their takes on The Office and what they know about, kind of about what things to come. And then they want to get my reaction um, and as a newbie to the series and kind of see, you know, if I fall in line with them or if we need to go into a conference room and hash it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Uh, so far, we, uh, yeah. It, I love talking Office. Uh, I just, it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, if, if you like us nerding out on Twin Peaks, you might enjoy us nerding out on the office and Paul being utterly baffled. <laughs> Me being having no idea about the shit they're talking about. Because <laughs> they're like, yeah, this episode, you know, this character, the character arc of this person, what fucking character arc? I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. <laughs> so, well, with that, Joe, why don't you take us out, buddy? It is in our house now. <laughs>